You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostrecker of Ravens Wire. And just because the Ravens aren't playing this weekend does not mean that it is not Purple Friday. And of course, as Purple Friday tradition states, Matthew Stevens joins us from Ravens Wire. Matthew, how are you feeling today? Uh, not great, man, everything considered, but uh, uh, looking forward to an offseason that should be pretty exciting. And it's, it's going to take a while to get over, you know, the Ravens loss in the divisional round, especially because no one, maybe except for the Titans, saw this loss coming and especially the way it happened. And we're going to get into all of that in the second and third segments, obviously, just to review what happened, where the Ravens can improve, you know, in a game like that for next season and the like. But Matthew, I first want to talk to you about the regular season, because look, the Ravens put up a clunker in the divisional round, but that does not take away from the fact that the Ravens did some really good things in the regular season. Really good is quite the understatement. It was a historic season. It was a magical season. What did you think of the Ravens season and how fun was it for you to watch? Oh man, it's, you're right. It's, it's so easy to forget how great of a season Baltimore actually had uh, and how impressive they were when you, you kind of have ending as such a down note, but I mean, 14 and two, nobody saw them going that way. Realistically. I mean, people could say that now, but that we were all making fun of them a few months ago and they'll say 14 and two or 16 and zero, literally every year, regardless of what the situation is. So no one saw them going 14 and two. No one saw Lamar Jackson, not only growing uh, uh, this much, but to the point of, of, I mean, he, he's undoubtedly going to be the MVP. He was the pro football writers of America's MVP and offensive player of the year. Uh, the guy had a fantastic season. He broke Michael Vick's rushing record, you know, individually for him, great season, uh, total all for the, the Ravens, a great season. And when you kind of look forward and, and look at the core of this team, there's plenty to be excited about over the next couple of years as well. So, uh, just a great season all around and and a lot to look forward to in the future. Yeah, and looking forward towards the future, I mean, the offseason brings a lot of excitement for for the Ravens and for, you know, all NFL teams, free agency, the opportunity to bring in guys to help the team get better, the draft bringing in that influx of young talent. So I wanted to ask you, Matthew, is the Ravens heading to this offseason where they undoubtedly can improve with the amount of cap space that they have, the amount of draft picks, and the number of young, talented players they have where do you see the Ravens' primary areas of need? Well, I think one of their, their chief issues is pass rusher. I mean, you've got Matthew Judon is set to be a pending free agent. And as we saw last offseason with Zedaria Smith, he's going to undoubtedly cash in on, on a huge record contract, uh, or at least a huge contract. Uh, and Baltimore flat out just might not be able to or might not want to afford a guy at $17 million a year who – you know, uh, he had a great season, but he still has yet to have double-digit sacks. Uh, that'd be a lot of money for a guy like that, but he's probably going to go ahead and make it. Even if you're able to re-sign Matthew Judon, you still want to go ahead and add someone opposite him. I mean, Baltimore, uh, again, all, all hats off go to, to Don Martindale and, and being able to generate a pass rush via the blitz. But he blitzed a lot because guys were not winning one-on-one matchups very often, including Judon. Uh, so having a guy opposite Judon will free him up a little bit more or or potentially will free up the, the new guy. Uh, that's something that they really need to invest in. They need an inside linebacker. Patrick Anwasu is not the answer, clearly. Uh, and, and he's also a pending free agent as well. 
The defensive line is another big spot. Again, when you're talking about Brandon Williams, a guy that made a ton of money, uh, but doesn't really generate a ton of stats. He's kind of more of a run stuffer. Wouldn't be surprising if they want to generate a little bit more pass rush up the middle or from the, the defensive end side. Uh, finding someone who, who can catch the football reliably, as we saw in the divisional matchup against the Titans, that was an issue. And it, and it kind of had been throughout the season periodically as well. Uh, we've seen this wide receiver core be completely dismantled over the last two off seasons uh, because of that exact issue. So it wouldn't be terribly shocking if they go out and either draft someone or find a, a uh, low cost free agent that has reliable hands and kind of can be that possession receiver that they really kind of desperately need on the outside. Those are kind of my three big spots. And of course you always have to uh, worry or my four big spots. You also have to worry about, Marshall Yonda potentially retiring. You need to find his heir. I don't think they have that guy on the roster quite yet, but they've got uh, a bit of depth. But if you can find a guy in the first or second round, be able to go ahead and, and draft him and develop him for the future, that would certainly be a, a wise situation for Baltimore as well. And you mentioned those first and second round talents and the areas of need for Baltimore. Well, as you mentioned, the draft is a prime place to get players on you know cheap rookie contracts who can contribute right away are very talented who are your primary targets for the Ravens now obviously it is early and this will probably change as you know the combine goes on and individual workouts all the like but who do you think the Ravens should be targeting and who are your favorite players in the draft for Baltimore well I, I we have to always preface anything with the Baltimore Ravens in the draft by saying they're going to choose the best available player and, and while Every year we all kind of predict, oh, they're going to go after this. They're going to get this guy. This guy is going to be the thing. Nobody ever seems to be right. And that's because Baltimore kind of lets the board happen, lets the board come to them. And then they choose not based on need. They choose based on the guy that they love the most. And and as we saw with Marlon Humphrey a handful of years ago, it's a pick that a lot of people might say, oh, that's weird. You got a bunch of corners already. Uh Fast forward a few years, and, and Marlon Humphrey is, is a Pro Bowl player. He's a guy that uh, Ravens fans absolutely adore because they didn't draft on need. They were able to let Humphrey sit for a year or two, let him kind of generate uh, uh, and develop a little bit better uh, and turn into the player that we see now. So that being said, the guy that I, I kind of was excited about initially, uh, and I did a, a mock draft, Terrell Lewis. I think he's a guy that fits that need immediately. He's a guy that you can kind of go, just go after the football. That's all I need you to do. Just whatever you do, opening whistle to the end of the, uh, to the final whistle, uh, you're going to get a guy who's going to go after the quarterback with everything he's got. He still needs to develop. He still needs to, to turn into, uh, turn that, those flashes, turn that physical stuff into the mental stuff and kind of combine it together uh, to, to be a more consistent pass rusher. But I think he's got all the physical tools you love that you could start him immediately. And again, just have him go after the quarterback while you're developing, uh, uh, developing the rest of his, his technique the rest of the way. Yeah. And you're right. This, this board for the Ravens and whoever falls to them, it's interesting to see every year who they take because if really no one expects them to take the guys they're taking for the, for the most part. Now, of course, as I mentioned, the combine will come and all these other workouts will come for these players and the board will change for the Ravens. They'll move people up, move people down. But the draft is an exciting time and so is free agency. We talked about the team needs. Who are some free agent targets that you're looking at for Baltimore in those positions of need? Uh, a few guys that, I, again, I'm really interested in. I think you have to look at outside linebacker. Uh, again, I think you, you have to be concerned with 
Uh, a guy like Matthew Judon potentially leaving. You have to worry about, even if you do re-sign him, you need someone opposite him. Baltimore's strategy here might change a little bit, but I'm excited about uh, Jadavian Clowney. I think he's a, a super quality guy. He's young. He's not going to be cheap by, by any doubt. Uh, Dante Fowler Jr. is another guy. I even got a chance to see uh, uh, Mario Addison uh, over with the Panthers a couple of years ago. A guy that isn't going to generate a ton of buzz, but he's one of those types of guys where you can get like two of him for the price of one Judon, and that might be the better move overall. So that way you go cheap uh, and you can kind of stock up the depth there. And hopefully somebody kind of shines through it's sort of what Baltimore did this, uh, this season in picking out like Pernell McPhee, picking up a, a few other free agents and then just going, all right, one of you has got to actually show up this week. Uh, and per, uh, Pernell McPhee eventually did, but also eventually went on injured reserve. So those are some guys that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, it wouldn't also be terribly shocking if they try to stock up their cornerback reserves a little bit. Jimmy Smith is set to be a free agent this year. Uh, and I don't think they're going to resign him. I mean, he's missed a ton of games. He hasn't been the greatest, even when super healthy. Um, but again, finding another guy that can be that, that third or fourth cornerback on the list that just gives you a little bit of depth. I don't think Baltimore really needs to go out and find that number one wide receiver, that number one cornerback. Yes. With pass rusher, but I think Baltimore can really just work on stocking depth and then letting their young guys kind of come up and, and continue to develop. Yeah, I totally agree. And with the way that the Ravens have been developing that young talent, you know, it's safe to say that, yes, the Ravens can make a few splash plays here in free agency, but they don't necessarily need to break the bank for anyone, especially with guys like Ronnie Stanley coming up, who's going to need an extension and a lot of other guys who are going to slowly start to have their rookie deals expire and thus, if you're capped out with a lot of big free agents who are, you know, on the wrong end of 30, in the long run, that might not be the best move for the franchise. So I think Jadavian Clowney also is an exciting prospect, or not prospect anymore, superstar player. Someone who can really come in and make an immediate impact. And, you know, the Ravens did struggle, you know, with pass rushers last season. And I think Clowney would be one of those guys to really eliminate that need. But we are going to go to break now. And when we come back, we are going to be talking about the Ravens offense and the Ravens divisional round loss to the Tennessee Titans. So stay tuned for that. And we will be right back. Welcome back to the second segment of this Locked on Ravens Purple Friday episode. Kevin Ostriker still here with Matthew Stevens. And I know this isn't fun to talk about, but it's helpful for everyone to, I think, get an understanding of, you know, how this game went the way that it did, why this game went the way that it did. And Matthew, I'm excited to talk to you and get your opinions here because this is a game that still somewhat has me confused. Yes, when you look at it, you can really give some assumptions and, you know, put some facts on the board as to why the game did go as it did. But I first want to start off with Lamar Jackson and how you thought he played. He finished 31 of 59 for 365 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions, 59 pass attempts for Lamar Jackson, something unheard of. He had something like 70 or 73 dropbacks, I believe. And his 59 pass attempts were the seventh most in NFL playoff history for a quarterback. He also had 20 rushes for 143 yards, really doing it all by himself. How do you think Lamar Jackson played in this one? Well, I think the stats kind of point you to go like, well, he, he played pretty well. Uh, but the reality is he, he didn't clearly. I mean, two interceptions and there were at least two other passes that he was late on, especially to the outside. That really could have been intercepted as well. Had the Titans been able to hold onto the football, at least one of them was going to be a pick six. Uh, I can't remember who cut in on the outside, uh, but Jackson was late to it. 
as we saw with Marcus Peters, you know, multiple times this season, you throw that late out. You've got no one in front of the cornerback who is now just at full speed sprinting toward the end zone. So Jackson's actually lucky he didn't have additional interceptions there. But what I noticed almost immediately from Lamar was that he just never really seemed to be settled down. It's I don't know if last year kind of haunted him a little bit and he really wanted to show and 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 do a good job this year and ultimately kind of becomes like a weird self-fulfilling prophecy where you're so worried about screwing up that you end up screwing up or uh, what the, I don't know what the term is, but uh, you, you, you're staring at that tree and you're riding the bicycle. The next thing you know, you, you ride right into the tree because you were so worried about trying to not ride into the tree. Uh, that kind of seemed to be the case for Lamar. He seemed a little too excited. He seemed a little too amped up. Uh, and, and what we saw was his his uh, mechanics regressed a little bit, kind of what we saw last year. Uh, he was throwing passes high. A lot of them were just off target. He wasn't always making the greatest decision. Of course, he was under a, a decent amount of pressure uh, toward the, the second, third, and fourth quarters. But initially, that, that first quarter, he had plenty of time in the pocket for a lot of it uh, and just failed to hit the mark. He did eventually kind of settle down over the course of the game, but I think when you see his 20 rushing attempts, I think to me at the very least, that speaks to Lamar Jackson going, I've got to win this game for this team and not going, I got to rely on Gus Edwards. I've got to rely on Mark Ingram. I've got to rely on my guys to do their job. It was him kind of trying to do a little bit of everything in order to win this game single-handedly and, and it backfired. Uh, and of course, Baltimore just got away from, from what they did. I mean, that, I think that's the easiest thing to say. Baltimore got away from everything that the, won them 12 straight games, got them to the number one seed, uh, and ultimately saw them get dismantled by Tennessee in the exact way they've done uh, to, to so many other teams this season. And you're exactly right. And the one question that I have and a lot of other you know Ravens fans have as well is when it comes to the Ravens getting away from who they were and you know not running the ball and just – pass after pass after pass by Lamar Jackson. Why? Why did the Ravens go away from what they were? And, you know, my theory here is that the fact that Greg Roman might have just gotten a little spooked. The Ravens were down 14 to 6 at halftime, and the Ravens are used to putting up a lot of points, having some pretty big leads, and that allows you to kind of run and dictate the game with the football and run out the clock because you have the football you have the time possession to just kill the clock there but the Ravens are down they weren't really moving on offense and I think Greg Roman just got a little spooked is that what you were sensing or do you have another reason as to why the Ravens really got away from who they were I I still go back to Lamar Jackson I think you know a lot of the runs that we saw uh, from Jackson were uh, fake handoffs inside to where, you know, th- those types of plays where he can keep it with the running back and, and allow the running back to go inside, or he can try to do something himself. A lot of them, we saw him pulling them back out and trying to do something himself and ultimately not, not finding any rushing lanes because Tennessee did a great job of just going, Hey, we're going to kind of man these outsides and, and force you to run inside. Uh, I, I think they were susceptible to running with, with a big running back like Mark Ingram. Of course, Ingram getting hurt early on certainly didn't help anything. Mark Andrews having some issues certainly didn't help anything uh, in terms of the results. But at the end of the day, I, I don't necessarily put a lot of that on Greg Roman so much as kind of Lamar Jackson, like I had said before, trying to be the guy that's going to do it himself. And we've seen that at times this season with Lamar, especially when Baltimore is a close game. Uh, or, or Baltimore's maybe down by a little bit, all of a sudden he starts busting out a ton of runs by himself. He starts kind of doing everything by himself. Uh, he, he stops looking downfield as much and, and goes, fine, I'll take off and I'll pick up the 15 yards here. I'll pick up eight yards there. 
that's a lot of what I saw in this game. I just didn't see him eventually settle down and go, all right, I've got other guys around me. And, and part of that is coaching and someone not kind of grabbing him and going, hey, you got two good running backs. Use them. Don't always go for the deep shot. But I, I think I think that's what happened. Uh, but at the same time, again, that, that does fall back on coaches. That does fall back on, on his teammates. Uh, so it's, it's a mix of everything. It was just a bad game overall by Baltimore here. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And, you know, not the strong outing that most expected. But I want to talk about a player who did impress on offense, and that is Hollywood Brown. It looks like the future is bright with Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown. And that connection, seven receptions for 126 yards. How impressed were you with Hollywood Brown? Well, I think the one thing you have to look at with Brown there is a lot of that happened late in the game. You know, his deep pass, uh, 38 yards, happened in the second quarter. Uh, 30 yards in the second quarter, uh, 17 yards in the fourth quarter. So, you know, Brown got a lot of that done right before halftime when Baltimore is really trying to catch up. And ultimately when Tennessee is trying to protect against the big play, which I think is the impressive thing there. So Marquise Brown won one-on-one matchups a lot of the times when the guy knew, Hey, he's going to be running it deep. That's what they're going to do here. Uh, that's a good sign for the future, as you mentioned. But at the same time, I, I think we've seen this for Marquise Brown previous this season. Uh, and, and while it's great and it's, it's, I'm happy to see him go over 100 yards, ultimately I think he's a little hit and miss right now. And I think it really is going to depend on what the defense shows uh, a lot of the times. It'll be interesting to see how he grows uh, this offseason and into next year, uh, A, also being healthy, and then B, just being able to develop a better uh, route tree, more polished route tree across the board to see if he's able to kind of make this a consistent thing and and not have to get a bunch of deep shots in order to uh, really kind of take advantage of what he can do best. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that, you know, part of it was the fact that it was it was before halftime. It was the fourth quarter. Sure. But, you know, doing all doing any of that. I mean, the catch he made right before halftime at the five yard line. Exceptional. We've seen his hands time and time again. I go back to week two in Arizona where he made that catch to really seal the game for Baltimore. The future is bright with Marquise Brown. And I think that he had a pretty exceptional performance in this game against Tennessee. But finally, Matthew, before we head into the second break. I want to talk to you about the blueprint, and that that was the word that was used last year when the Chargers beat Lamar Jackson, and now that word is starting to creep up again. Well, the Titans played this prevent defense. The Titans wouldn't let Lamar Jackson throw inside the numbers. The Titans didn't let Lamar Jackson get upfield with his runs. Instead, they made him get outside, kind of matching him with speed. Do you think that the Titans now have this blueprint, or do you think the blueprint mantra is dead? I I mean, I'm sure teams are going to look at what Tennessee did, but I mean, I think the key here is uh, the first drive, an interception. Uh, and that was just a high pass from Lamar that got tipped off and, and ended up going to the wrong player. Uh, a play that could have easily turned into a huge completion had he pulled that ball down a little bit more, had Andrews been healthy enough to go up for the ball a little bit more, had Bayer just not being in the right spot. Uh, that that play just falls dead. Uh, so an interception initially, that that's huge. Uh, ends up giving them a touchdown. The second drive ended up being loss on downs, uh, 45 yard line. You're right there by midfield. You go for it, which is a call that certainly can be looked at now with hindsight and going, well, that was kind of a dumb call. Again, that's a touchdown. So you, you spotted them 14 points almost immediately. Uh, and then you end up having uh, a, a loss on downs 
at the Tennessee 18-yard line in the uh, third quarter. You have a fumble, you have an interception, and then you end the game with with two losses on downs uh, after going ahead and putting up 69 and 60 yards respectively in those two spots. We're talking about two of those drives change. You erase 14 points from Tennessee, and you put up potentially 14 points for Baltimore there. This game could have easily been lopsided in the other direction had Baltimore just had a few balls bounce their way. And I think that's the key that a lot of Ravens fans have to take away from this is this wasn't necessarily a bad game plan per se, or or just Lamar Jackson did poorly, or just Greg Roman did poorly, or just John Harbaugh or the wide receivers or the defense. Everything kind of combined to just turn into the, the disaster that we saw. But again, one or two bounces the opposite way, a pass that doesn't get tipped into to an interception. All of a sudden, this game's a completely different ball game for Baltimore. So for, for a game plan or a blueprint, as we saw earlier this season, as we wrote about, uh, you know, yeah, you, you, you kind of need a little bit of luck in order to beat this team. That's that's the reality of it. You need luck. You need a hard-nosed defense. You, you need a team that has nothing to lose and a stout rushing attack. If all those things go right, yeah, you can beat Baltimore. If, if none of those things go right, you're going to get stomped. If half of them go right, you're still going to lose. That's the reality of it. And if Baltimore continues to play it the way that we've seen them play over the 12 games before the playoffs, uh, they'll do just fine next year, regardless of whatever defense that uh, anyone else wants to go ahead and put up against them. Yeah, and again, I think this is just a learning experience for Baltimore saying, look, we can't get away from who we are. We have the game plan to succeed, but, you know, can't get spooked. And, you know, with another year of experience for Lamar Jackson, for Marquise Brown, for Marlon Humphrey, and and all these young guys, I think that it's going to benefit them greatly. But we are going to go to our second break now, and when we get back, we are going to be talking about the Ravens' defense in that 28-12 loss to the Titans. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. But before we do that, can you believe it's conference championship week? Time's up for two teams playing this weekend, but you still have time to feed your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. Download the DraftKings app now and use code LOCKEDON for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. New users, be sure to enter code Locked On during sign-up, and you'll also get a free shot at over $750,000 with your free deposit. That's code Locked On, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility or restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back to the final segment of this Purple Friday Locked On Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker is still here with Matthew Stevens. And Matthew, we're going to now talk about this defense that... I guess, held the Titans to 28 points, although it wasn't enough. And I want to start with the the man who everybody was talking about on that Tennessee offense with Derrick Henry. 30 carries for 195 yards, not have a touchdown on the ground, but did have a throwing touchdown <laughs> going one for one for three yards in, in a passing touchdown. How do you think the Ravens did in containing Henry? Obviously, the stats don't look too promising, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than the stats. What about you? Well, as you mentioned, it goes a little bit deeper than, than the initial stats. 30 uh, attempts for 195 yards. That looks like a lot, and it is a lot in all fairness. But at the same time, uh, one of those plays, 66 yards. Uh, another one, 27 yards. Another one for 23 yards. You take out really three rushes for Derrick Henry there, and you're talking about a difference of, what, 100 over 100 yards there? I mean, all of a sudden, Derrick Henry rushed 27 times for like 90 yards. Well, that's that's not that terrible now, is it? Uh, that, that's that's a far more manageable uh, stat line uh, across the board. 
But as you mentioned, those things do kill kill you. You know, a six yard run is going to hurt, and, and it was going to happen. But Baltimore didn't do enough to to stop kind of killing themselves offensively in order to do it. And I kind of want to key in on that in terms of what six ways they gave up the football or six different times they they ended drives with uh, with a turnover. Uh, that's going to give Derrick Henry tons of rushing attempts uh, in order to grind the game down and in order to go ahead and put up yards. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, another key point in this game for the Ravens was, you know, limiting Ryan Tannehill. And while he only passed for 88 yards and he had two touchdowns, only threw 14 passes, completed seven of them, 50% completion percentage. How well did the Ravens actually first game plan for Ryan Tannehill, execute that game plan and, you know, make sure that he wasn't a factor in the game? Well, I think they did a great job. I mean, again, look at that stat line, 50% completion percentage. I'll take that all day long for 88 yards. Absolutely. If that happens almost in any other game, the Baltimore Ravens win by a landslide. Now, of course you can say, you know, they had 37 rushing attempts. So that helps. Uh, that helps to be able to make sure that Tannehill can only throw 14 times. Derek Henry, as you mentioned earlier, one for one uh, for his touchdown. But w- where the key was, was that again, Baltimore put them in prime field position a lot of the time. So Tannehill didn't have to put up a ton of yards in order to have two touchdowns. And considering one of those passes was, you know, just a big play, a 45 yard uh, pass to, to uh, around uh, Marlon Humphrey that Humphrey just kind of got beat by a little move to the outside, looked over the wrong hip, and, and that was it. Uh, that's going to happen again periodically. But again, we take away that play. All of a sudden, it's, what, 6 of 13 uh, for 43 yards? Again, that's that's a stat line Baltimore is going to win 99.999% of the time uh, if you tell me that before the game. So I think they did a pretty solid job of getting to him, of, of generating a lot of pressure. But as we mentioned last week and, and has been talked about plenty, Tannehill's really good under pressure. He's able to to diagnose things quickly, and Tennessee ensures that he has good outlet valves. Uh, as is pointed to the 14 attempts, seven completions for 88 yards, he has good outlet valves to be able to get rid of the football quickly. Uh, that That's going to be open, might not generate a ton of yards, but is going to keep the drive kind of moving forward. And that's what you saw. But all of it really does boil down to Derrick Henry and what he did. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Derrick Henry was the X factor in this game. And we were kind of going into it. If Lamar Jackson does what he can do, then Derrick Henry wouldn't be a factor. But unfortunately, Lamar Jackson didn't do exactly that. And thus, Derrick Henry became the factor. But I want to talk a little bit, Matthew, about the Ravens secondary. Specifically, Marcus Peters is a guy who really impressed me. He had a lot of heart when he played. I mean, he tackled. And that's something that we kind of talked about where is Marcus Peters going to be on the field in first and second down obvious run situations? Well, on the second play of the game, Derrick Henry catches a pass and Marcus Peters diagnoses it immediately, hits him hard, wraps him up and tackles him. And that was a play for me where I'm like, all right, Marcus Peters is going to have a good game. And he, he did that. He chased down Derrick Henry on that long run, almost forced the ball out and then, you know, tried to get the ref to give the Ravens the football back. How do you think Marcus Peters played in this one? I think fairly well. I mean, as you mentioned, he played nearly the entire game, 89% of the snaps, uh, which is solid for, for your number two cornerback. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, he, he came up there, he tackled well. I think the key ultimately, again, was uh, when you look at the stat sheet, he, Tannehill only had 88 yards. I mean, if that's the case, yeah, clearly Marcus Peters did a solid job, uh, or at least was not the liability that so many thought he was going to be 
when he was traded to Baltimore back in, in week seven or before week seven. Uh, but but a, a great job, certainly a, a proof that Baltimore can rely on him to be a, a starting cornerback next year and, and is the reason why they gave him a nice big contract extension accordingly. So I, I think the, the future is certainly bright with uh, Marcus Peters over there. And finally, I want to get your opinion on who you thought the Ravens defensive MVP was in this one. I'm going to stick with Marcus Peters, but was there somebody else who you thought had a sensational game and deserves that honor? Man, that's tough. I mean, I'd say Earl Thomas, I think, did a great job. He led the team in tackles, which is is a huge thing. He had a sack for for eight-yard loss. Uh, He really brought it a lot of the time with his tackling and and really kind of put a shoulder in there and ensured that if he's taking someone down, that you're going to go ahead and feel it, which is what Baltimore had to do against this heavy rushing offense. Uh, I, I give Earl Thomas a, a, a huge hats off for this game, even though it didn't turn out that er, the way that everyone would have liked. Uh, I think Thomas did a great job of playing 100% all the way, all the time. Uh, but as you mentioned, Marcus Peters, also a really good option. Uh, only two tackles in this game, but ultimately wasn't targeted a whole lot. Again, as, as I'll point out with Ryan Tannehill, only completing seven passes, and one of them was against Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. I don't know what more you could want that secondary to really do. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The secondary did a great job. You know, aside from that one touchdown pass, they played exceptional. But Matthew, that's all I have for you today. Thank you again for coming on the show. And it's going to be a wild ride this offseason, and I'm, I'm excited to uh, to ride it with you. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm excited as well. And there's a lot to look forward to in this team. I know we're all wallowing in it, and we, at least all of us at Ravenswire, certainly still are. Uh, and you and I were talking about before, we're all still kind of sore and a little sad, but uh, when you look forward to the future with this team, it is very, very bright, and it's really excited to uh, exciting to, to be able to look at a huge stash of cash for the offseason uh, and a bunch of draft picks to hopefully fix any of the holes that we saw in this game. Yeah, the future is bright in Baltimore. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it wrong. But we are going to take a two-day break here, and when we get back on Monday, we're going to be talking about the Ravens offseason a bit more, getting in what happened in the AFC and NFC Championship games and more. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you on Monday.